community. We love you so much. As everyone's coming in, let's go ahead and, and please stand with me. In Isaiah, it says, this is what the Lord says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? <clears throat> 2022 is gone. Is anybody else excited about that? <laughs> 2022 is gone. It's finished. It's in the past. And now it's time to claim 2023. We can't go back. We can't reclaim 2022. We can't undo it. So let's just move forward. This year is a new day, a new year, a new opportunity to show our faith in Jesus. So let's start out today with worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus. This is what freedom feels like. 
This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. Fear cannot survive when we praise you. The God of breakthroughs on our side. Forever lift him high. All creation cry, God.
Sounds like that's your theme this year. Is that what you want? We're going to pray for that in just a minute. A couple of things. Tithes and offerings, uh, they say there's four ways to give, but there's really one way to give, and that's by trusting God and just trusting Him and obeying His Word and just realizing that He's going to keep His promise to you that if you trust Him, He will take care of you. Amen? Amen? That's really what it's about. And so there's four ways to give. You can give in those ways. This is a new year, so you get to start all over again. Start with zero, go to a million. Except for those of you that play the lottery. You can keep it. My God's got more. Amen? Today is a little different. Uh, I'm actually going to be teaching one of the classes because I wanted to be with the kids. I wanted to kind of talk to them about what a pastor is. And I want them to kind of start their year off knowing kind of what's going on with their church. And so I'm excited to, to do that. So today we're going to have uh, Pastor Angelo is going to come bring the word. Say. And so uh, before that, there was something else. Oh, yeah. On Tuesday, we start our basic discipleship program called Rooted. Joey's out of town this weekend. Uh, but it starts on Tuesday night. Uh, if you've got any questions, ask somebody out in the foyer that looks like they know what they're doing. <laughs> because obviously I'm not the one to ask. But anyway, so if you're interested in learning more about kind of getting your basic discipleship down, kind of what uh, the foundations of the faith are, uh, that's what that class is for. So we look forward to that. So I, I just wanted to pr pray real quick before I take the kids and they take the life out of me. <laughs> We're going to do well. I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'll be honest. I'm a little nervous. Don't tell the lion that you're nervous before you meet the lion, but we're going to do that anyway. So let, let's, can I pray for you real quick? Let's pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, as I listen to the songs sung today, the worship of their heart is that they want to be on fire for you. They want to be excited about who you are and what you do. They want to be willing to share the, the love of Jesus with those who don't know it. They want a fire lit in them. They want a fire lit in them. So, Father, I just pray that you just answer their request. Because that's all that worship was, was a request to light a fire in them. Start today. Start with Angelo. Empower Pastor Angelo to, to preach the word with truth and the movement of the Spirit of God. Be with the kids, Lord God, in their classes that they may listen to what's being taught and walk away knowing you just a little bit more. Let this year, 2023, be the best year of our lives because we got to know you more than ever before. We love you, Jesus. We just pray that you are honored and glorified by our faith. We love you, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Y'all may be seated except for the kids and the teens. Teens, you're dismissed. Kids, you're dismissed. I'm coming with you. Angelo. Good morning. Uh, quick announce, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. It is going to be a great year, amen? amen. Um, the reason why I say that is because it's the only year you got. 
okay? All the other years are gone. You're not promised the year after. This is the only year you and I have, amen? amen. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you got one shot. <laughs> come on, come on, you got one shot. <laughs> one shot. That uh, kind of going about what we're talking about today, um, which is... Um, winning. I want you to think about winning. What does it mean for you to win? What does it mean for you to be a winner? Maybe think back when you were younger um, about being on maybe on a sports team. Maybe uh, you guys played cars or has anybody ever played Monopoly, right? And you've lost family members over it. Come on. Right? Um, my beautiful wife, I don't play against her anymore for the sake of our marriage. All right? Um, but we all want to win. Amen? Come on. There are very few people who are rooting for the Detroit Lions because we want to be winners. Amen? Come on. Um, there, uh, there are some things that are universal um, across mankind, across humans, across decades, centuries, millennia. There are some things that are universal to you and to me, um, and some of those things, those things don't change. And I, I have this little, uh, um, just this little piece that I keep in my, uh, in my files, um, and it's based around Ecclesiastes 9. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1, where Solomon says, what was will be again. What happened will happen again. There's nothing new on this earth. Year after year, it's the same old thing. Does anybody call out, hey, this is new? Nope. Those pants were in style before. <laughs> Come on. Come on, I am now getting old enough to where I am seeing the recycling of pant cuts, okay? Um, does somebody call out, hey, this is new. Don't get excited. It's the same old story. Over and over and over again, we see the same things, the same uh, desires, the same urges, the same behaviors. Um, I want to read this for you, and uh, we dismiss the teenagers, right? Perfect. Okay. It's easier to pick on somebody who's not here. Okay. Um, but this also applies to all of us at whatever stage that we're in in life. But today we're going to talk about the youth of today. The youth of today love luxury. They have nothing but bad manners. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Utter contempt for authority. And show disrespect to their elders. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. This generation. Just no respect. They contradict their parents, which I can vouch for. Talk constantly before company. Practically inhale bad food at the table. They cross their legs and are tyrants towards their teachers. Do we have any teachers here? Come on. Come on. Lord, give them peace. Guard their hearts. That was written by a guy named Socrates 400 years before Jesus Christ was born. Ugh. Which makes me think that you probably acted like that. 
had I read this to your parents and your teachers, the world is truly passing through troubling times. The young people of today think nothing, think about nothing but themselves. They have no reverence for their parents or old age. Come on, we have earned the right to feel this bad in our bones, right? The young people of today think nothing but about nothing but themselves. They have no reverence for their parents or old age. They're impatient with every aspect of restraint. They talk as if they know everything. What passes for wisdom with us is foolishness with them. As for members of the opposite sex, they are forward, immodest, and inappropriate in speech, behavior, and dress. Can I get an amen? amen? Right? Come on. That was written by a dude um, who has a terrible name, Peter the Hermit. Um, <laughs> He was a Catholic priest in 1100 AD. There is nothing new under the sun. I know, Pat and Kaylee are down here, and they're like, what? Kids have been like this forever, just not my kids? What? Which also means that old people have also been crotchety since the beginning of time, right? And boring. Oh, I'm boring, okay? I just want you guys to know that I feel like I identify as old, okay? And I have x-rays of my back to prove it, okay? My doctor said I have age-appropriate arthritis. Translation. You're old. <laughs> what does that have anything to do with being a Christian? What does that have anything to do with being a Christ follower? What does that have anything to do with believing in Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and being part of a faith community that is chasing after God together in our community? What does any of that have to do with chasing after Jesus, practicing the way of Jesus? There are temptations that are common. There are temptations and urges that are common across generations, across humanity. And one of those is to be a winner. Come on. We're in, we're in Judges. If you got your Bible, open up to Judges 6. Um, Judges is a story of a nation. And if that nation was an NFL team, all right? They win a lot and then they lose really bad. And then they win a lot and then they lose really bad. And we're not talking about like, oh, they had a bad game last Sunday. We're talking like Detroit Lions <laughs> who have been bad before I was ever thinking about watching NFL football, okay? If you go through Judges, there are periods where the Israelites are on top. They are the top dog. They are winning. They are, they are in charge of everything for years. And then something changes. And they get put into slavery for 40 years. And then a new judge shows up. God does something cool. And uh, this catalyst happens. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we totally forgot about that guy, God. Let's do that. 
Because we have this charismatic leader who is willing to do what God told him to do, and now God is going to bless our families. We're picking up, and, and seriously, Gideon is not like a novel idea. Gideon is not a special person. Gideon is right smack dab in the center of humanity where we forget about God, we become losers, and we don't want to be losers. So then we cry out to God and say, God, help me, help me. And God is like, all right, we're going to do this again because I am, you know, a few thousand years, I'm going to tell Solomon that there's nothing new under the sun. We're just going to do this over and over and over again. So we pick up with Gideon, and Pastor Andy has been, you know, just going through this. Um, but in Gideon 6, verse 7, and this is just going to set the stage, but we're really going to land on verse 16. When they cried out to the Lord because they were losers. No. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, who was defeating them, who was raiding them, who was stealing all of their food, who was taking away their women and children, who was destroying everything that meant that they were successful. The Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought, brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued, from you, I rescued you from the Egyptians and all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. Verse 11, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Oprah and that doesn't seem right, but okay. Which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Gideon was a loser. Gideon was a loser. He was actively losing. All right? Grain... Wine press. Those aren't, those don't go together, right? Grain goes on a grain threshing floor. Grapes go into a wine press. There's a reason why Gideon is doing things out of order. That's because he is a loser. <laughs> His country has been overrun. There's nothing that he can do about it. They've cried out for help. Gideon is just trying to feed his family. But he's not doing a very good job. His country is not doing a very good job. Went up to Gideon, who was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said... Mighty hero, the God, uh, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And just paraphrase, Gideon's like, actually, my win-loss record is not that. I am not winning. I am not a mighty hero. I am not doing amazing things. Fast forward to verse 16. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I, the Lord, will be with you, 
and you will strike down, you will destroy, you will win against the Midianites. And we're not talking about a, a, a weekend warrior situation where, you know, a bunch of adult males hit each other and throw around a pigskin. We're talking about life and death. We're talking about being able to feed your family. We're talking about actually living and not just surviving. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midians as if you were fighting against one man. Does anybody here feel like you're fighting more than one person? Does anybody here ever feel like you're fighting against just more than one thing? Maybe you're battling for your marriage. Maybe you're battling for your children. Maybe you're battling for your parents. Maybe you're battling for your job. Maybe you're battling for your joy. Maybe you're battling for your peace. And you are not winning. Tale as old as time. We love our idols. We get infatuated with our idols. And then they let us down. And God comes and he says, hey, I can fix this. I can fix this. I will be with you. And you will be able to defeat the thing that is troubling you. You'll be able to defeat the thing that is destroying you. You will be able to defeat the thing that is stealing your peace because I will be with you and you'll be able to do it as if you are fighting one man. Come on, who would love to be battling just one thing in their life? Amen. Come on. Depends on what it is. Depends on what it is. If God's with you, you can do it. Come on. Now, uh, we're going to fast forward through this real quick. Uh, Gideon and God hang out. God tells Gideon what to do. Gideon does it. I could be done. God tells Gideon what to do. Actually, here we go. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd. Man, I would love to give my father's money to God. Right? Like, just, hey, Dad, God told me that I should give your stuff to him. I don't have that relationship with my father, but it's fine. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. You see... Gideon's family, along with the rest of Israel, was worshiping another god. Gideon's family, along with the rest of Israel, was worshiping another god. And so God says, hey, Gideon, I want your sacrifice, but I want you to do this thing. And so Gideon, this is the best. I just want you to know that you can do what God tells you to do while being terrified. Because, verse 27, Gideon took 10 of his best friends. <laughs> he couldn't even do it by himself. So Gideon took 10 of his servants, actually not even his best friends, the people who had to do what he told them to do. <laughs> I'm terrified, and you guys are coming with me. 
So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. God, I'm going to totally, totally do what you tell me to do. I'm just not going to post about it on Instagram. <laughs> I hope you're cool with that. Come on. Sometimes we feel like we have to be absolutely full of, full of faith, right? Which means we're all pumped up and we're ready to do anything that God tells us to do. But the reality is, the biblical example is the men and women who actually made a difference in their communities, in their families, in their nations, were terrified to do what God told them to do. God told Moses, I want you to go back to Pharaoh. And Moses was like, well, I'm actually kind of bad at speaking. So maybe use somebody else. Gideon, mighty man of valor. Actually, I'm kind of a wuss. Of all the wusses in my family, I am the wussiest. It's in there. I've written a little bit different, but... Come on, over and over and over again. People are like, hey, I should do the right thing, but I don't really want to. Esther realizes that her, her entire nation is about to be slaughtered. And you know what? She didn't say like, oh my gosh, I gotta do something. Her uncle wrote her and was like, hey, if you don't do something, we're all gonna die. Well, but maybe I, no, do something over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Just like your kids, your teenagers are going to do this stuff that I just mentioned earlier over and over and over again. It's the same thing with you and it's the same thing with me. God is asking us to do something. And the problem is that we want to be winners before we do what we're supposed to do to become winners. We want to jump on the bandwagon of somebody who has been spending years to become a winner. And we want to be like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm on that team. Come on. There has been some angst inside of me because I went to Astoria High School and um, we were winners, right, Luke? Come on, Astoria High School, we were winners, okay? And that tradition has waned a bit, <laughs> ebbs and flows. My daughter is getting into basketball and so we have some friends that are coaching. Um, the, the boys JV team, he was like, hey, there's going to be a tournament this weekend. Do you want to come watch um, boys basketball? Uh, the JV, you know, is struggling, but the guys are okay. And the girls are one of the best teams in the nation, or not in the nation, in the, in the state. And I was like, okay, you know, let's do it. Within what, babe? Like six minutes, it was like these poor girls the other team, Lapine, these poor, poor girls are getting murdered, okay? I think in the first quarter, it was like 20, 30-something to like four, 
And I was like, where do I buy a t-shirt? <laughs> Lady Fish, I will support you. I want to be on your team. Except I have not once been to their practice. I have not once run a set of suicides because I would die. <laughs> I have not once done anything for that team to win. But I want to be on the winning team, right? Come on, right? I want people to know that I'm successful. I want people to associate me with winning. I want people to know that I go to a church that is hopping. Come on. I want to be a part of the faith that people are like, I don't know what those Christians are on, but I want to be on it. So when you talk about Christianity and you talk about church and you talk about what's exciting, you know, what is the new great thing? Oftentimes, people will talk about yesteryear. You say, what is the church supposed to be? What does it look like for a body of Christ-believing people? What does that look like to be winning? Because we don't have a scoreboard, right? That would be so pretentious, right? Who is old enough to remember when we would take attendance and post it in our foyer? Come on! We're in the triple digits! Right? And then it gets sad. We go bump down to double digits. And then we bump down to 50. And then we bump down to 30. And then it's like, oh, our team sucks. Are we being too honest this morning? And usually after a team has been great and then it kind of starts waning, right? There's like, what should we do? We got to do something, Mark. Come on. Mark is a uh, <laughs> past full-time pastor and he knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's probably triggering, actually. Um, <laughs> We'll set you up with a great therapist. It's fine. <laughs> Even the babes think that one was funny. Okay. So then we get into this situation, and I have been around long enough to have seen this happen multiple times. Well, what is it? What is winning in the church? What is it for the church to be alive? What is it for the church to be unified? What does it look like? Paint us a picture without vision the people perish, which is a terrible translation and a terrible use of that verse. Hark, there was a time that was written in the Bible that was God-breathed that we know was real. And it's in Acts 2. A few days after God was on earth. Because if you can't get behind it then, you are not getting behind it. Right? Jesus has just died and raised himself from the dead. Dead man walking. And then he hangs out with his friends and he's like, hey, by the way, I'm going to impart this Cool new trend to you. You can live forever. That seems, that seems like a winning team. Yeah, I'll buy that jersey. Okay. Jesus hangs out with them. He imparts to them. He 
floats up into heaven, okay? Then the homeboys are hanging out. And it sounds like a jet is taking off. And flames of fire show up on people's heads. People think, well, they, I, they don't mention acid or shrooms or anything. But they do mention alcohol. And they were like, whoa, these people are hammered. There's fire on their heads. They're speaking these wild tongues, that languages that I randomly can understand, even though I'm Arabic, even though I'm Greek, even though I'm Roman, even though I'm, and it says across the board. These people were speaking in tongues, these wild languages, and everybody could understand. I'm taking a Spanish class right now, God, and that would come in handy. I've been married to a Spanish-speaking woman for almost 15 years. And she might have thought, huh, well, I married a dud. He can't even learn a second language. And I'm sorry. But that's all I got. So then these people are like, oh my gosh, what should we do? Peter obviously preaches a message just Fantastic stuff, okay? We're going to pick up in Acts 2, verse 40, verse 40. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, which is a great line that all preachers should underline, okay? <laughs> Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Y'all were pumped for triple digits. The early church made it into the thousands on day one. I want to go to that church, right? Come on. Where's your guys' merch? I'll get the beanie. Come on. I want to be a part of this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Man, this sounds like great stuff, right? A deep sense of awe came over all of them. A passion burning in my heart. Come on, it was exciting. Have you ever been a part of something that was exciting before? And you didn't wake up and think, man, I don't want to go, right? I was talking to my brother-in-law, and we were talking about, he's like, oh, I just got to, oh, I've just gotten out of my routine. I got to wake up earlier in the morning. I got to lift weights. I got to get back in shape. Anybody? Is it just my brother-in-law that struggles with that? He goes, but you know what's crazy? Is that when I go on my snowmobiling trips, I can get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I am ready to go. Come on. There are things that are exciting, and there are things that are not exciting. Being part of a losing team is not exciting. 
Being overwhelmed is not exciting. Being hit from every side is not exciting. In fact, it could be labeled as depressing. It could be labeled as anxiety-inducing. It could be defined as wanting to stay in bed. It's not our alarm's fault. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Can you imagine if in this room, everybody who has a lot gives to the people who don't have a lot? We're talking money, we're talking food, we're talking emotional support, we're talking encouragement, we're talking the word of God. Come on. They sold their property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Eh, too much. Right? I mean, don't get too excited. It's funny that people want an Acts 2 church, but they don't want to do the things that the Acts 2 church did. Come on. In America, we can barely get to church three weekends a month. That's three days out of 30. Not 30 days out of 30. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Can you imagine if you enjoyed the goodwill of the Acunas, of the Kellys, of the Georges, of the Jaspers, of the Showermans, which I can tell you from personal experience is hard won. Not only do you enjoy the goodwill of everybody in your church, but also your boss and your children and your in-laws, God be praised. Come on. And, and the person from high school that used to bully you. And the person from high school you bullied. Come on. And the banker who you're trying to get a loan from. Come on. Enjoy the goodwill of everyone. Check, check. Around, look around you and just enjoy the goodwill of the person next to you just for like two seconds. I'm gonna be honest, that was scary. That was, it scared me. Whew. God be praised. All right, here we go. So, this is the part that was exciting. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
You guys aren't sure if it's gonna happen again. And I'm with you. I hope the lighting is better back here. Um, Angelo, I, I'm not an Israelite in ancient Israel. Um, not only do I not thresh wheat, but I don't even have a wine press. Um, thank you, Gina, for that sympathy laugh. I appreciate that. Um, my dad doesn't have an Asherah pole that I can cut down, nor does he have a second calf that I can sacrifice. Um, I, I'm not even a Jew post Jesus floating up into heaven. I wasn't there for Pentecost. I was there for that random time when New Life speakers went nuts. I was there for that. Um, but that was a different kind of exciting. So what do we do? What does it look like to have a winning church? What does it look like to be part of a body, a team, a group of people who are all headed in the right direction, who are winning? I want you to think about that. When you think about a church, what kind of church would be exciting for you? When you think about your family following Jesus, what does that even look like? Is it proactive or is it negative? Because there is a tension between Stop doing that and do this, right? Sometimes a lot of us are like, hey, you know what would be nice? It would be nice um, if we just stopped being terrible humans. Sorry, I was too vague. It would be nice if my family members that I lived with would stop being terrible humans. It would be nice... If people at work weren't a bunch of gossips, it would be nice if we could stop engaging in harmful, toxic, destructive behaviors. That's where a lot of us are. I just need to stop doing stupid things that I know God doesn't want me to do. And then on the flip side, gosh, I really want to be on a winning team. What would it look like? What would it feel like when you walk through those doors to be part of a winning church? What would it feel like in the morning when you find out that it is Saturday or Sunday? Sorry, I, that's a personal thing. Um, Saturday is when I get to watch English Premier League soccer. Um, And I just jumped on that bandwagon, to be completely honest with you guys, and I just picked the best team to follow. Except they didn't win yesterday, Kayla, Kaylee. They didn't win, and I'm upset about it. What would it look like? What would your pastor be like? 
What would he do? What would the leaders of the church do and say to you? And more importantly, because you don't have any control over that, what would you do? What would you say? Where would you go to be part of a winning team? Not like me sitting in the stands thinking, wow, I want to be a part of this winning team. But I haven't done anything to be a part of it. Ephesians 4 says this, Therefore, I, a prisoner, of God, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, I beg you, this is the Apostle Paul, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. We're going to come back to that in a second. Do you know what the problem is with having a champion? Champions die. Gideon, rock solid dude. Like real grade A stuff. He did everything that God told him to do. Israel was freed. They enjoyed economic, spiritual vitality in life. They were a winning team. In Judges 8, 33, as soon as Gideon died, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the images of Baal, making Baal breath their God. They forgot the Lord their God, who had rescued them from all their enemies surrounding them, nor did they show any loyalty to the family of Gideon, despite all the good he had done for Israel. The idea that there's a champion who's going to fix your life doesn't match up to history. Gideon's life changed because Gideon listened to God and did what he told him to do. That died with Gideon. You might have had a grandma or a grandpa or parents or uncle who listened to God and did what God told them to do or an aunt or somebody, a teacher, a mentor, somebody who listened to God and did what God called them to do but as soon as they pass away, you're not going to be enjoying the fruits of their labor. They're going to be in heaven with God enjoying the fruits of their labor. And you have to decide today what kind of Christ follower you will be. Will you be a bandwagon Christ follower or will you be a sold out psycho that gets put up on the jumbotron because you're at every single game dressed like a nutso? And while people will think that you are weird, they will know which team you are rooting for. Come on. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Your calling. Your calling. Because you have been called by God. 
You. 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 You have been called by God. But I'm a wuss. We take wusses. But I'm the wussiest wuss. Fine, we'll take you too. But you don't get it. I'm like really bad. I do a, a pastoral counseling, and I can't tell you how many times people who are, they want to do pastoral counseling, but they know that they're a terrible person. And they tried to prove to me that they're a terrible person. You could not handle this. Try me. <laughs> Try me. Do you know how many nutsos I've spent time with? I was called by God to live with 13 of them the early parts of my life as training grounds to hang out with y'all. No, 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 no. No, you don't get it. You don't get it. Like, I have anxiety. Come on. You don't understand. I have really bad thoughts. <laughs> Trust me. I go to therapy, okay? And I scare my therapist. I can't tell you how many times people apologize for how bad they are, how lackluster they are, how absolutely inadequate they are to receive love. Session number one and session number two and session number three are often you are experiencing typical things. You are thinking typical things. You <laughs> would not believe that everyone around you is mostly thinking the same things. Why? Because there's nothing new under the sun. You're like special, but you're not like so special. Therefore, I, a prisoner, shoot, we're running out of time. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. You've been called by God, the one who knows your awful thoughts, and the one who knows the image of himself that he placed inside of you that he is waiting to bring to life. He is patiently waiting, patiently waiting. And even while you and I were not on that bus, we were not about it, he still died for us. And he called us his children. It is one of my great, great joys for somebody to say, wow, Tristan sure is your kid. Wow, I can see where he gets it. Come on. I'm talking positively, guys. Gosh. 
We've done, we're done with the negative stuff. Now we're going up, okay? When my children exhibit things and people say, wow, I see where he gets it. Can you imagine God's joy when he looks at you and he says, gosh, I see exactly the stubbornness that is in me is in Pat. Come on. The grace that I have, the grace that I have is in Melody. Come on. God looks at you and he says, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to call them up to the big leagues. They have got something, and that something is my spirit. That something is my image. That something, and you're, you know, maybe you've been broken down. Maybe you've been put down. Maybe you have been destroyed. Maybe you've been hit from all sides. But God says, I still have called you. Paul goes on, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other because y'all are knuckleheads. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Therefore, there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope from the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. All the messed up, broken people on the earth, you included. However, kind of sounds like it's going to get bad here, doesn't it? However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. God has called you. God has singled you out. God has said, hey, you don't need a Gideon. You don't need a Moses. All you need is Jesus. Jesus was our champion. He is our champion. We don't need any more humans. We need you. Come on. It says he gave you a special gift. Jesus Christ, when he left, left a special gift. And do you know what that gift is translated in the Greek, in the original text? That special gift is grace. You have a superpower, and that superpower is being gracious. Why is that so important? Because unity will not happen without it. If I get all bent out of shape because of your tone, you are reverting back to being the wussiest wuss. I don't like how he said that. I don't like how he handled that. There are some things that are worth bringing up and getting upset about. It's called sin. It's called sin. It's called actual, concrete, serious offenses against each other. It is not slights. It is not... I can't even. I, seriously. 
the things that the early church were fighting about was whether or not you could earn your salvation or whether God was big enough and Jesus' sacrifice was good enough for us to be called children of God. Those were the huge doctrinal issues. It was not about whether or not somebody didn't check up on me. Do you know why? Because you were called by God and you were given a special gift called graciousness and grace to check in on other people. We must move on or I will just stay here forever. In verse 11, and this is where I want to land the plane. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. There are leaders in God's family. There are prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers. There are leaders in the church. And our job is to teach you to do God's work, not to do it for you. When I take the garbage out in my family, because it drives me nuts, when we become human compactors, we just keep pushing it down, right? We're going to maximize this bag. I can't stand it. But when I do my son's job, he does not learn how to do his job. And then he grows up, he gets married, he has his own family, and he is literally disabled because he doesn't know how to do what he is supposed to do. It is not Pastor Andy's job to do your calling. It is not my job to do your calling. It is my job to do my calling. It is my job to sit with God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Seriously? Again? God, what do you want me to do? The same thing still? This is getting boring. Discipline is boring. The Lady Fisherman basketball team have been doing boring things now for seasons to become excellent at their game. God, what do you want me to do? I want you to raise your beautiful three children in the way of the Lord. But no one will notice that. I don't care. That's what I'm calling you to do. God, what do you want me to do? I want you to be a loan officer who has ethics. 
who has morality, who has grace. But that's not what we do in my line of work. I don't care. You're a child of God. You bear my image. And wherever I put you, I want you to bear my image. I want you to shine the gracious gift that I gave you, the special superpower of being gracious with other humans who suck. I want you to be gracious with your church who sucks. Can we turn the recording off for a second? Don't tell Pastor Andy. I want you to be gracious with your pastor who doesn't do everything you want him to do. I want you to keep your promise that you made to your spouse when you promised it in front of God and this company. That's what I want you to do. But wasn't I supposed to do that already? Yes, dumb dumb. But that's not special. Yes, it is. It's special to your spouse. It's special to your parents. It's special to your children. It's special to that person who is applying for a loan, who has hope that they can change their family tree and they can work hard enough to get their family out of poverty and they need a loan to do it. Your children need you. Your church family needs you. Your parents need you to be gracious with them. And all the parents said, come on. We might not all be on the same bus of apologizing to our children, but we know we've screwed up. This will continue without any fanfare, without any thunder, without any tongues of fire, without any champion going out and cutting down your idol for you. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete the full and complete standard of Christ. Can we get the singers to come on up? And someone please share the good news with the children's teachers that it's almost over. Gideon is special because Gideon spent time with God. He was not a very bright guy. He was not a very special guy. He was not in any way something you and I would say, ah, oh, this person is going to lead us to victory. None of that. The basics... <laughs> at the risk of sounding really dumb. The basics of following Jesus 
is following Jesus. Is doing what you are told. But God made me creative. Shut up. Shut up. Do what you are told. I have had the joy and the honor and the privilege to sit with real life saints. People whose special gift of grace is so encompassing, so powerful. And do you know what all of them have in common? Almost every conversation I ever had with any of them was, wow, what do you think God wants you to do about that? Do that. Angela, what if I, what if I don't know God's voice? I'm going to give you the same advice I gave my 10-year-old who didn't want to do math because he's not good at math. And I said, buddy, you're not going to get good at math by not doing math. Somehow we want some kind of digital download and we just want to be good at things. The reality is, is that we suck at things. We're not good at things, especially when we've never done that thing before. So you're going to get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong. Turn to somebody and say, you're going to screw it up. But you're not going to get good at it if you don't do it. You want to know how you become part of a winning team? Listen to God. Come before God and say, God, what do you want me to do in my marriage? And then you're going to be plagued with these thoughts. Is that just me? Is that just the voice of the podcast that I'm listening to? Is that just my mom in my ear telling me what to do? I don't know. I don't know. Do it. If you sincerely believe that that might be God's voice, do it. Do it. See what happens. Because God wants you. He wants you. He's calling you to do something special. Come on. To be a part of something special. And the boring discipleship isn't going to stop per God until we can be gracious with each other. And we can do what God told us to do in maturity. And we, as a united body, can do what God wants us to do. Amen? Would you stand up? I am going to pray for you and for myself. Lord, I ask that you would lower our expectations of what it means to be a disciple. Lord, I ask that you would lower our expectations of what it looks like to be part of a winning team, what it looks like to be part of a winning church. Lord, I ask that you would put our expectations exactly where your word says it is, which is to engage with you, to listen, to ask for your direction, 
and to do it in faith. Not to pump ourselves up. Not to do anything falsely spiritual, Lord, but to actually do what you ask us to do. To step out in actual faith and believe that you are with us. That with you, we can strike down anything that is going on in our life. We can do it together. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our fight is with weapons unseen. Your enemies crash to their knees as we rise up and worship. When trials unleash like a flood, the battle belongs to our God as we cry out and worship. You 